Well, that was cool, right? <laughs> so this week we are studying, uh, starting a study of really one of my favorite books in the Bible, and it's the book of Ephesians. And most of you have probably read Ephesians. Um, if you have, you should read it again. And if you haven't, you should read it. It's, in my Bible, it's, you know, we call it a, a book. It's five pages in my Bible. It takes about 20 minutes to read this thing. Uh, and today is gonna mostly be like an introduction to Ephesians and, and just what it is and who it's for and who it's from and what it's for. And I think it might seem a little elementary today, but we are laying some groundwork today. And I think we're gonna be seeing some stuff and uncovering some stuff and learning some stuff in the next few weeks that is gonna be new for a whole lot of us. So Ephesians, if you don't know, actually was not originally a book, it was a letter that was written to a church in Ephesus. Uh, people that lived in Ephesus were called Ephesians, right? Like, people that live in Texas are called Texans, right? People that lived, lived in Ephesus are called Ephesians. So if Paul wrote this letter to us, it would be called the letter to the Bolverdians, right? Or, right? or the Blankonians, or wherever you're from. So this is a letter written to these people. Um, it's six chapters. Um, it's a really tidy breakdown, and this is unusual for this particular author, but it's, it's really, it's, it's neat the way it's broken down. So the first three chapters, chapters one, two, and three, are really important um, theology about how God's plan and all of history came to a climax in Jesus. It's about the theology of that and the understanding of that and how Jesus and the gospel create this new uh, humanity that is multi-ethnic and it's this great community of Jesus followers that are inspired by Jesus' example and by his teaching and who are empowered, like Joy just said, by his spirit. And it's about how all Christians are chosen by God and loved by God and empowered by God because we are, and this is a huge term in this book, because we are in Christ. So the first three chapters are really mostly theology. And then chapters four through six are like the so what, right? It's like the application of that theology. So it's kinda like the first three chapters, in fact, the word that connects the first three to the second three is the word therefore. That's the first word in chapter four. So it's really like the first three chapters are, Jesus is amazing, therefore, we should live our lives like these last three chapters tell us, as we're impacted by who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him. So yeah, it's a letter written to this church in Ephesus. It's six chapters long. Um, who wrote it? Paul, it just, uh, if anybody ever yells out, if anybody ever asks you the question, who wrote this book in the New Testament? If you don't know, just say Paul. Your odds are gonna be really good. Um, Paul wrote a lot of it. And uh, you know, Paul's a, a traveling missionary. He's the guy that kind of originally brought the gospel of Jesus to the town of Ephesus. And he got them up and rolling and the church got started and all that stuff and then he moved away and ended up doing all this other crazy stuff you've read about in Acts. He ends up in prison and while he's in prison, he writes this letter to them to teach them and encourage them and just kind of help them. Um, Paul goes by two different names. This is kind of a confusing thing when you read through the New Testament. Um, his Jewish friends called him 
Saul, right? And his Roman or Greek friends called him Paul. And this is kind of important, I think. It's not because he was a Jew named Saul, and then when he converted to Christianity, he became a Christian named Paul. That's, that's not at all what happened. His name was always Paul, and it was always Saul. And you can read in the Acts, years after his conversion at Damascus, years after that, there's some people are still calling him Saul. So he had, he had two different names, kind of depending on who he was with. So he was a ethnically and religiously, he was a Jew. But he didn't leave that to become a Christian. Like most of the first century church, he started off as an ethnic and religious Jew who just began to follow Jesus. And so his ethnically Jewish name was Saul. And his Greek or his Roman name was Paul. That seem weird to you? Like an alias? I'll tell you somebody else that does this, me. Okay, so my name, in my, when I was growing up, my name is Larry Don. Why? Because I come from a family of hillbillies, okay? <laughs> so my name is Larry Don. So my family calls me Larry Don. In that world, that's how they relate to me. That's Larry Don, right? But then when I'm out in the real world, in most of the world, people call me Larry. And then in the church, in our church world here, people actually call me Pastor Larry. So that's just how people relate to me. I'm the same person. I, did, I didn't change. I didn't go from being Larry Don and then it turned into a pastor. So now my name changed, right? I'm the same person that I've always been. This is just how people relate to me. And Paul really wanted everybody to be able to relate to him. Jewish people, Roman people, Greek people, he wanted everybody to be able. Remember, he even said he tries to be all things to all people so that he could win a few. And so that's his idea of keeping the names. So Paul is um, super well-educated, probably came from money, went to good schools, had a great teacher. Um, He was a super, super smart guy. I would say Paul was a, a genius. Paul was a genius. Um, he was um, hardcore religious Jew. In fact, he was a Pharisee, which means he was kind of a religious leader among the Jews. Uh, he spoke Hebrew, um, but he also had an inn in Rome because he was a Roman citizen, and so he also spoke Greek. So Paul writes this letter to a church that started in Ephesus. And this particular church is not so much a church like this. It's not like a, 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 a one group that meets together in the same building every week or something like that. The church at Ephesus was probably more like a bunch of home churches, like a little association of several different home churches, and they all met together. In fact, what probably happened when his letter got to town, they probably read it in one home church, like your life group, probably read it in that group and then passed it over to the next group and then passed it over to the next group, and this letter kind of went all around Ephesus to all of these little kind of home churches. Um, Ephesus was a really big, cosmopolitan, hip, uh, wealthy, successful city, so they had lots of commerce, lots of business, lots of culture. There they had a giant amphitheater there. Think about this, this is 2,000 years ago. Think about construction and all that. 2,000 years ago, they had an amphitheater that seated 50,000 people. 50,000 people, and so it was like, you know, this huge stadium that seated 50,000 people and they would have like sporting events and they had that uh, monster truck jam thing there. That, that is just giant. They had all kinds of um, temples there, so it was also kind of a, almost like a mecca for religious stuff. So they had temples there to all the Greek gods, you know, uh, Zeus and all those. In fact, uh, the temple to uh, 
the goddess Artemis was there, and that is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this is really a big, cool, hip, amazing city, and in the middle of that city, there are all of these little home churches of people that had started following Jesus. And most of those people were not Jews. Most of the people in the church at Ephesus were Gentiles. And so this is, this is Paul, and he's writing this letter to them. And you know how I know all that? Because it says so. I could have saved us a lot of time here. Chapter one, verse one says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing it to God's holy people in Ephesus that are faithful followers of Jesus. So a couple of really important words there. Paul says he's an apostle of Jesus. Um, Apostle kind of means somebody that has been sent by Jesus. Typically it's somebody that has seen Jesus and experienced Jesus and has now been sent out to tell the world about them. What's different about Paul compared to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and that crew is that he never met Jesus in person before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Another important word here, um, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Um, Some of your Bibles say to the saints at Ephesus, and that's a weird word for us, I think, to think of ourselves as being saints, but these people weren't holy because they were born holy or because they acted right or because they did anything good. These people had become holy because they were now faithfully following Jesus. So. Uh, A couple of other important things about who the letter is written to. And as we do this the next few weeks, how many of you are gonna come to church for the next several weeks? Don't lie now. Okay, because we're laying groundwork today, right? So a couple of important things. When we think about who the letter is written to, it's written to the church at Ephesus. And I think it's really important when we, when we read these books, when we read you know, uh, Romans and Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Bolverdians and all of those things, right? Those we call them epistles. What does that word mean? It's a letter. It's a letter. And so it's really important when we're reading these books and trying to really understand what God is trying to show us in these books that we understand what we're doing. We are reading someone else's mail. That's what it is. We, we, have inter- we have intercepted a letter, right? We are reading someone else's mail. So follow me on this. It's for us. It's, it's for us. But it wasn't written to us, right? The book of Ephesians is, is for us. But it wasn't written to us. It was written to a specific group of people in a specific place, in a specific time, in a specific culture. So if we're gonna try to read it for what God has in it for us, we we kinda got some work to do. You know, we gotta try to figure out what did Paul mean for it to mean to them, right? What did he mean for it to mean for them? And then how does that thing, that truth pertain to us in our time and in our place and in our culture. So a great example of this, um, because it's not, it's not as simple as just reading it. Sometimes I think we read like the Old Testament, and it's like very, can you read Genesis? Oh my gosh, there's, there's 
two people and they don't have any clothes on, there's a talking snake, right? We got the whole world is flooded and giants come and there's all these crazy weird stories going on and then I think we get to like Ephesians and it's like great, straight up instruction, man. This is just gonna tell us what to do. All we gotta do is do what it says and that's gonna be easy and it kinda is and at the same time it's kind of confusing because Paul's talking about all kinds of weird rules and stuff that don't make sense to us. And so we gotta figure out, well what is the truth in that that is for us, because that letter wasn't written to us. Here's a great example of that in the book of Corinthians. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Joy is sitting right here. What do you guys think of Joy, our worship pastor? She's okay, right? So we love Joy. Um, is anybody here um, upset or scandalized by the fact that Joy is leading, teaching, praying in church without a head covering. <laughs> Anybody bothered by that? Anybody online? You guys? No, but actually in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he very specifically says a woman should never pray or teach or lead in church without a head covering. So if we read it as if it's written to us, then joy needs to go buy some hats. Right, that's, the Bible specifically says that. But if we do the work, right, and if we do a little bit of digging, it reveals to us that in first century Corinth, the people that it was written to, in the place it was written to, in the culture that it was written to, in that culture, if a woman went out in public without a hat on, without some covering on her head, it was like a sign to the world that she was looking for a hookup, right? And that she might even be a prostitute. Well, that's not a thing in our culture, that's not, that's not to us, right? So if we're gonna like translate it to us, I mean, I'll, I'll say, here's a truth for you. If a woman is gonna lead worship or preach or teach or something at our church, she should not shop for her clothes at Victoria's Secret. How's that? Okay, same truth, right? But that's how it would be like if it was to us in our world, in our time, and kind of in our culture. So this, it's, written, it's written for us but it's not written to us. The truth in it is timeless. The truth in it is, is cross-cultural. So as a church leader, Joy is careful to dress moderately and conservatively and modestly so that God is the center of attention, but she doesn't have to wear a hat. Does that make sense? Start going like this and I'll go faster. You, you wanna get out of here, here's what you do. Do this, amen, we'll keep moving, okay? It's important to me that we get this stuff up front, right? So it's written, it's written for us, but it's not written to us. So there's, there's some work to be done when we're reading somebody else's mail that was written by somebody that we don't even know 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's great, real truth and instruction for us in Ephesians, but we have to remember, it's, it's to and from somebody in a completely different world than ours. Second thing that we're gonna need to remember as we're digging into this stuff is uh, it's also about who it's to, and this one's a lot easier. Um, when Paul says you in this letter, and he says it a lot, when Paul says you, it's always plural. So when you read through Ephesians and you see the word you over and over and over and over, it's always plural. So in Greek, they had two different words, right? They have, they have one word that means you, singular, 
And then they have another word that means y'all, right? And a lot of people don't know, Paul was actually from Texas. Because this letter that he wrote, 100%, I mean, you read through your Bibles, every single time in the book of Ephesians that it says you, it's actually saying is y'all. And so again, we're laying groundwork. This is really important. Think how that changes the meaning, right? Think how different it is. Ben, if I say, you know what, today after church, I wanna take you to lunch. That's a lot different than me saying, today after church, I wanna take (laughs) y'all to church. Right, this is, it's a, it, it really, really matters, and it's gonna really specifically matter next week. So as we're digging this thing out, right, we're gonna really understand this book, we're laying the groundwork today, we have to, first of all, remember, we're reading somebody else's mail. So we're gonna have to do some work to get the truth out of it that God has for us. And every time Paul says you, what he really means is, say it with me, y'all. y'all. Okay, you guys having fun? Feels like we're in Bible college, huh? It's a, little, um, it's a little academic today, I think, a little wordy or something, but you know, we're, we're a Bible church. We're a Bible church. We are people of the book. Amen. And it's really important that we dig into this thing and that we really read it for all it's worth and we really suck the truth out of this. We wanna really know what God wants to say to us in his word. So, Ephesians. It's important that we know what it is. It's a letter. It's important that we know who it's to, the church at Ephesus. It's important for us to know who it's from and a little bit about Paul. But there's another really big question. If we really wanna know what this is trying to say to us, there's another really big question, and that is, what's it for? What's it for? Like, what's the purpose? All these books, right? He wrote these letters. Why this one, right? Why did this one get, you think Paul didn't write other letters? He probably wrote thousands of letters. Why, why this one is in the Bible? What's the purpose of this book? And it's, it matters what it's for because the way we read it changes depending on what it's for. If you read a book of poetry, you read that differently than you read the owner's manual of your car, right? They're, they're, they're intended to do two different things. Right, how about this? Let's say you get a scientific paper from the New England Medical Journal, right? And it's, a, and it's an article and it's about um, all the physiological changes that happen to your human body and mind and all that when you're in love. And so you get this thing and you think you're gonna read about endorphins, right? You think you're gonna read about all these neurotransmitters and all that stuff and so you open up the paper and it says, my love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June, right? Well, that's about love too, but we're, we're gonna read those two things a lot differently. If you follow me on that, go like this. Okay, we got a lot to cover today, so we read it completely different. If we're gonna really get this book, we're gonna need to know not only who wrote it, who he wrote it to, we need to know what he wrote it for. What was the purpose? Why did Paul write this book? And in chapter three, right in the middle of the book, he tells us why he wrote it. He wrote this book because he wanted the church at Ephesus to have an apocalypse. Let me hear you say the word apocalypse. Okay, so when I say the word apocalypse, what comes to your head? What? The end of the world, what else? War, right? Blood right? Zombies, right? That's the apocalypse, and that's what we think of it in. Now, that's like, that's like that word has morphed, 
right? And in our language, it's kind of sort of come to mean that, but that is not at all what Paul meant when he said apocalypse. The Greek word he was talking about is apocalypsis, apocalypsis. And it's really, I'll tell you, I'm gonna, if we don't get anything else today, we need to understand what this word means. Not, not just to us, we think it means zombies, right? What did it mean to Paul? And what did it mean to the church at Ephesus? And here's what it means. Literally, the word apocalypse in, in the Greek means to remove the blanket. How's that? Literally, it means to uncover something, right? So that something is like revealed because it's been uncovered. Here's a picture of it, okay? Here it is. You wondering what's in here? It could be anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. You don't know what's in there. But now, wait, wait. See the shake? Go like that. It's a CBCB hat. You need the hair. Joy needs it, because why? She's gonna be leading worship. That's the apocalypse. That's what an apocalypse is. It's something was covered before. It was blurry before. It was mysterious before. It was dark before. It was unknowable, unseeable before. And now it's revealed, right? So literally, it means to take the blanket off. It means to uncover something, but like metaphorically or like symbolically, it also means like if a new truth becomes uncovered for me, wow, I've had an apocalypse, right? I've had, we love this word, a revelation, right? Just like the hat was revealed. Now this new idea, this new understanding, this new concept has been revealed to me. When John wrote the book of Revelation, what's that about, right? It's John, he has a revelation. He sees things he couldn't see before. He sees things that nobody else can see. He has this amazing spiritual supernatural insight. The light comes on and he sees something that he's never seen and nobody's ever seen before and that book is called Revelation. Can you guess what the word is for revelation in Greek? Apocalypse. That's, that's an apocalypse. It's something new being revealed. It's something becoming seeable that wasn't seeable before. Another great metaphor, another great like image that's tied to this is the idea of illumination, like a light coming on, right? Young people, tune this out. Old people, listen up. Once a year, Margaret and I go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse, okay? Once a year on our anniversary, we go to Rooster Chris Steakhouse because we have some friends here that give us a gift card for Christmas every year. We save it for nine months and we go to Ruth's Chris on our anniversary in August every year. And when you go to Ruth's Chris, you know, it's kind of dark in there. And they got the candles and all that stuff. And they give you the menu. And it's not written on white paper. It's written on kind of a cream color paper. And the ink is not really dark black. It's kind of like a little bit darker version of the same color of the paper, right? <laughs> And so I, I'm nervous when I go in there anyway. Like, you know, I got to make sure I got a watch I can give them in case I can't pay or something. So I was like, I kind of need to know what this thing says, you know, because we can't go past the gift card. Uh, 
And so when we go sit in there, um, I, I, when I first went in there, I was like looking at the menu, well, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? And then I looked at another table and I saw these old fogies over there and you know what they did? They took their phones out, turned on the flashlight and they got the flashlight and they're looking. <laughs> so I had an apocalypse. You know, I took out my light, I shine it on there, I say, wow, look at that, 25 bucks for a baked potato. <laughs> that is an apocalypse, right? So an apocalypse, this is, we're spending some time on this, this is really key, right? An apocalypse to Paul has nothing to do with zombies. It has nothing to do with the end, that was not in his mind, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the end of the world. It has nothing to do with that stuff. To Paul, an apocalypse is a revelation, right? It's something becoming clear that used to be blurry. It's something becoming light that used to be dark. It's something that I couldn't see or I couldn't understand before and now suddenly I can, okay? So now we're gonna go to that verse I'm talking about. It's chapter, four, chapter three, verse three, and this is gonna be Paul telling us why he wrote the letter. He's telling us, we already know who it's to, we know who it's from, why did he write it? He's gonna tell us, and I'm telling you, it's about an apocalypse. And he's gonna not only tell us that it's about an apocalypse, he's gonna use, listen, apocalyptic language. So think of the things that we just discussed and what those words would be. If you were gonna use apocalyptic language, you would talk about revelation and things that are mysterious, that aren't mysterious anymore, and understanding and insight, and that's what you would, that's the words you would use. So he's gonna tell us it's about an apocalypse and he's also gonna use language that is apocalyptic. So this is Ephesians 3, 3. He says, as I briefly wrote earlier, What's he talking about here? The first three chapters, right? That's the theology part. So he says, what I, as I wrote earlier, God himself revealed, guess what word that is? It's not a trick question. What word is it? Apocalypse. God revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, which is now living inside of Paul, right? By his spirit, he has revealed it. Guess what word that is? Apocalypse. He has revealed it to his holy apostles, who he told us earlier, that's who he is. He's an apostle. So Paul is saying the purpose of this letter, why it was written is he has had an apocalypse. God has, has turned on the lights and he has revealed this mysterious plan to him, and now Paul wants the Ephesians, and everybody that reads this, I guess, to have this same apocalypse. So he wrote this letter so that the people of Ephesus, and so that we can have the same apocalypse that he's had about this mystery of all the amazing stuff he tells us in chapters one and two and three, which is the most important apocalypse in Revelation ever and that is the revelation of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and who we are in him and how his spirit is bringing a new creation to the world and how that changes the way we see life and the way we do life and the way that we live our lives. So Paul's had this apocalypse and he desperately wants everybody to have the same apocalypse too. And his apocalypse began on the road to Damascus. You guys know that story, right? Paul was, you guys know the story? 
If you don't know the story, read Acts. He tells the same story three times in the book of Acts. This is Paul's favorite story. You know how your conversion story is your favorite story? This is, this is Paul, right? Uh, Paul's, what, he's going down to Damascus to kill him some Christians, right? And suddenly, the Bible says, what happened? A bright light. A bright light. What is that? It's apocalypse, man. A bright light. It says it was brighter than the sun. That's better than Ruth's Chris flashlight, right? There was a bright light, brighter than the sun. It blinded him. It blinded everybody. That's how hot that light was. And what does Paul says? Who are you? I mean, I don't even know. Who are you, Lord? I know you're the boss. I know you're bigger and stronger and more important and more valuable. You're, you're bigger than me, but who are you? And so then he's, he's blinded by this light, and Paul goes into Damascus, goes into town. Remember what happens next? Then a guy named Ananias comes over and prays for him so that he can regain his sight. And the Bible says that when he prayed for him, something like scales fell off of his eyes, and he began to see again. And I think this is not just that he, could, that he could see naturally, like he could see the guy that was praying for him and he could see the room that he was in and all that stuff. I think this was, I think this was the beginning of Paul's eyes really being opened and the light really coming on and him really having a revelation and a really an understanding, an apocalypse of who Jesus is. And I just want the Ephesians to have that same apocalypse and he, he wants us to have it too. But you to look at how he starts the letter Right? So when you write a letter to somebody, you say it's to so-and-so. When you write a business letter, sometimes you'll even put who it's from at the top. But usually we say at the beginning who it's to and then at the end who it's from. But the way they did it, they would say the to and the from at the very beginning. So the beginning's like, okay, here's who the letter's for and like a little greeting. Here it is, Ephesians 1, 1. The letter's from Paul, um, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus. And then he just kind of says, hey, uh, verse two, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So this is like a salutation, right? Like a little greeting. And now he's into the apocalypse. Look at verse three. All praise to God. I want you to think for, as you read this, you've read it before. We need new eyes, right? Let's, let's, let's really See what this says, man. This is powerful, amazing, life-changing stuff here. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's blessed us with every blessing that's in heaven. Why? Because we are united with Christ. Get used to that term, man. We're gonna hear that a lot in the next several weeks. Verse four, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. That is, think about that. God picked you before the Garden of Eden. God picked you before there were mountains and deserts and water and animals. God chose you since before time began. And he chose us to be in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Can you fathom, you know you, right? You know all that stuff you did? Those things you said? Those thoughts you had? Isn't it amazing that God has chosen you to be holy and without fault in his eyes? 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's gonna be an interesting sermon in a couple of weeks. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace, we'll do a whole week on that word, that he's poured out to us, us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything, in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to him. And now y'all Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves y'all. And when y'all believed in Christ, he identified y'all as his own by giving y'all his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised us, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. That, that's it, and that is the apocalypse, or at least it's the beginning of the apocalypse. This is God's plan to bring everything in heaven and on earth, inside of us, everything together, under and in Jesus. This is the apocalypse, who Jesus is, and what he's done, and who we are in him. It's, it's, it's a revelation of something that we couldn't see before. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if we don't just gloss over it, like we've read this book a thousand times, we're gonna see that, that it changes everything. It changes everything. Um, look what Paul's praying for the church. Again, listen for the apocalyptic words here, right? Listen to words about wisdom and vision and seeing and understanding and, and mystery and knowledge and listen for that. This is his prayer for them. Ever since I first, this is Ephesians 1.15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. What's he praying for them? He says in verse 17, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the hope that he's given those that he's called, his holy people, who are as rich in glory as inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those of us that believe in him, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is amazing to me. He, Paul loves those people, man. He started those people. He introduced those people to Jesus. He loves those people. And he's telling them, I'm praying for you guys. I've not stopped praying for you. I pray for you every single day. And what he's praying is not that they will get wealthy. And it's not even that they'll be healthy or that they'll be happy. He's not praying that they'll get that job or that they'll lose that weight, or that they'll find that spouse, or that they'll beat that addiction, and there's nothing wrong with praying for those things, but Paul's heart for those people, what he wants for them, and I believe the reason God wrote this book is because he has this same heart for us. His heart for these people is that they would 
that they would see and have this amazing insight and understand the hope and the power that they have in Jesus. And that's the kind of apocalypse that I'm praying that we will have over the next several weeks, that, that he will uncover some stuff for us, that he will shine some light where it's been dark before, that some mysteries will be resolved and, and that we'll have a new, relation, a, a new revelation of Jesus from this book that's 2,000 years old. I'm praying that God, like, just like he prayed, that God will reveal life-changing truth to us every week about who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him. Because, listen, when this mystery is uncovered, when, when the lights come on, when you really have this revelation of Jesus, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we love. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we relate to each other. It changes us. The apocalypse changes everything. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your provision and your help and your kindness to us. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. And I know everybody here, Lord, has needs and things that we are asking of you. But today, Lord, we're asking for what Paul asked for for this church at Ephesus. We're asking for apocalypse. We're asking that you will reveal Jesus to us in a way that we've never understood him before, that the lights will come on and we'll see things clearly that used to be dim and we'll see things specifically that used to be blurry and, and even things that we've argued about and, and misunderstood and whole denominations have started over will become clear to us, not, not by our own brilliance, but by this amazing supernatural revelation, this apocalypse of who Jesus is. God, change us. Show us who Jesus is. In his name, amen.